Our scripture today comes from the book of John, chapter 15, verse 18 through chapter 16, verse 4. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things, these things to you from the beginning, because I was with you. This is the word of our Lord. And all God's people say, amen. Isn't that awesome? Give these guys a round of applause. Thank you, Tom. What a great crew. Uh, it is it ought to be encouraging to you that folks like that would get up, be at this place at 7 a.m. and sing God's praise. I must confess that I have sinned while they were singing. I'm jealous of the mullet, and, uh, and I'm working through it, all right? So I'm working through my mullet jealousy. Um, I don't have hair, and uh, it makes it worse, so... So I'm going to pre uh, preach quite confessionally this morning. Uh, well, it's almost summer, and that means, yeah, there's the mullet. Why are you grinning like that? <laughs> so wrong. Just so wrong. All right. One day you'll be bald. All right. Um, so... Um, it is almost summer, and that means going to the beach. And we, uh, our family enjoys going to the beach. And we used to have a, a, a boogie board, but it was for snow. But for whatever reason, we took it to the beach. It was a green board, and we take it to the beach. And Trent, who is, uh, believe it or not, graduating from high school this week, uh, Trent, uh, I would take him, he's a tiny little kid, and I'd take him out and put him on that boogie board as far out as we could get, catch a wave, and he'd ride it all the way in. And then I'd run you know, toward him, grab it, come back, and we could do that literally for hour, two, three hours. Just so much fun. He just loved it, and, and, and uh, I would just love seeing him laugh and, and hearing uh, him uh, just enjoy it so much. But one of the fascinating realities of doing that is that um, 
I would do that having no idea that uh, I had drifted so far. You've done this, haven't you? You've frolicked in the ocean and then go, oh my goodness, I have no idea that I am a hundred yards from where I started. The ocean just does that to you. And so does life. Life causes you to drift. Uh, Please hear me. Life will never by itself cause you to stay on course. Life is drifting, and Jesus speaks of it in these last hours with his disciples before he is betrayed. He addresses the drifting. And at 16.1, when we do sermon prep, we look for what we call a hinge verse of a passage, a verse that is uh, one on which everything in this section of Scripture probably turns, and our thought is that it's 16.1. Jesus says, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away to keep you from falling away. Now, John writes this gospel. It's the latest one. It's 50 to 60 years after the events. And best uh, uh, scholars can tell, he's the last one standing. All other of the 12, the one added early in the book of Acts, have died. John is in the city of Ephesus, that ancient city from which he writes the gospel. And from there, he uh, is looking out at looming uh, persecution. You see, it is the year 80 to 90. Much has already happened. Jerusalem has fallen. People have fled. uh, And there's more to come. As a matter of fact, whether or not John knows it when he writes this gospel, uh, and, and just to bring you up to speed and not at all to insult your biblical intelligence, but you probably know that John wrote this gospel. He wrote the three tiny letters that bear his name toward the end of the New Testament, 1, 2, and 3 John, and he wrote the book of Revelation. Uh, uh, We are told, and I say it that way because it's not completely documentable, but the uh, commonly held thought and belief is that John was, when he was exiled to the island called Patmos, and he was, uh, he was dipped his body into hot oil uh, as persecution. And when he wrote the book of Revelation, he did so with scarred hands and a scarred body. He did not drift, neither did any of the twelve. Judas, of course, is off the scene, but the others, according to history, none of them folded. Every one of them persevered, and every one of them died for their faith. And so it is from this conversation that we discover three things, why people fall away, why people don't fall away, and what happens when you don't fall away. It ends on a positive uh, note, thankfully. 
So uh, why people fall away? This is from Jesus' words himself. Uh, First of all, people fall away because they don't like what Jesus says. I would call that rebellion. Jesus says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours. Jesus intentionally uses the word hate, and he uses it repeatedly. So this begs the question, what is the world? What does he mean by the world? The world is culture and people under Satan's influence. As you sit in this room this morning, many of you are astute followers of Jesus. You're devout. You have followed him, uh, some of you, for longer than I have been alive. But the reality of Ephesians 2 is that prior to your coming to know and follow Jesus, you were a part of the world. And whether you knew it or not, you submitted to Satan and his influence, you were defined as the world. It's what makes what we do as followers of Jesus so dramatic that he could take someone like us and do something like and fill in the blank. So uh, the first reason people fall away is they simply don't like Jesus' words and they rebel. Uh, There's a positive note here. I can't overlook it because I love uh, all of Scripture, but I love uh, that Jesus says, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. That's not so positive. But if they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Uh, there's uh, two sides of one coin here. You will be hated by the world, but I- I'm here to say to you that if you lead your life group well and if you share Christ with your neighbors and they come to Christ and if your employees know that Jesus is your number one, they'll love you. Uh, they're the ones who end up following Jesus will love you like nobody's business. They'll want to be around you. They will want to follow you. They'll want to be in your company. They'll want to sing songs with you. They'll want to fellowship with you. That coin has two sides. So there is the reason of rebellion. But secondly, people fall away because they don't know the Father. I call that ignorance. They don't know the Father. Verse 21, Jesus continues, but all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. They don't know the Father. Verse 3 of chapter 16, and they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. Who is the Father? You see, some of you have uh, almost a bipolar view of God. You view him as one way in the Old Testament and another in the New, but he is not. He is in the Old Testament concealed, and he is in Christ ultimately revealed. 
If you want to know the Father, follow his son around, and you'll get to know the Father. So let's go to the old and discover God's self-identifying words. The event is not a good one. There was an amazing event where Israel comes out across the Red Sea and God turns the Red Sea into a virtual aquarium. And they walk across on dry land. I just imagine that they are seeing fish just come as they normally did and bam, you know, just hit the wall God made. And, and moms and dads and kids are witnessing it. Must have been amazing. They get down into the Sinai Peninsula. Moses goes up to talk with God. They somehow forget that they just crossed the Red Sea with Moses on only putting out his staff and the waters parting, and they make a golden calf. They make an idol, and they worship it. And, and Moses, in his anger, breaks the commandments, and what do you think God's going to do now? Who is this God, and what will he do now? Is he going to be this parent who breaks bad and comes down and is ready to annihilate these people that he has just rescued out of Pharaoh's hand? He shows up to Moses in a conversation. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him, Moses there, and proclaimed the name of the Lord the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God angry and vindictive. Is that what it says? All right, so if you said yes, you're not with me. All right, the Lord, the Lord, a God what, class? What does it say? Merciful, say it loud, and what? Wow, after that, God, after they crossed the Red Sea, after you rescued them from 400 years of slavery, and they have the audacity to throw their jewelry in and build a golden calf, God comes down and he says, this is who I am. In other words, what you have done has not changed me. Your sin has not devalued my character. What you have done has not emptied me of who I essentially am. I am a merciful God. Aren't you glad? How many times have you built your own golden calf? You've thrown your own junk into the fire, hoping something good would come out. And God, by his grace, shows up and says, don't need the golden calf because I tell you who I am. And he forgives you, right, church? He is that God. And so he says, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Keep in steadfast love for thousands, forgiven iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. He didn't there. He still doesn't today. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly did what? Bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped God. And he said, if now I've found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us. For it is a stiff-necked people. And pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us for your inheritance. In other words, if that's our father, I want to be in that family. Don't you? 
That's what Moses is saying. Hey, if you're a dad like that, sign me up. If you're that God, I want to be there. And that's what Jesus is saying. If these Pharisees had known the Father, if they'd known the Father, they'd know me. I'm showing them the Father, and they would have followed. But they did not. So the reason people fall away is because they don't know the Father. Nancy Spiegelberg says this, Lord, I crawled across the barrenness to you with my empty cup, uncertain in asking any small drop of refreshment. If only I had known you better, I'd come running with the bucket. Amen. Uh, the third reason that people fall away is because they feel guilty. Shame. There's rebellion, and perhaps some of you are there, and the Spirit now is knocking on your heart's door. I'm glad. And for some of you, there's ignorance, and perhaps just now you see the Father as you have not before, but for others of you are shame. It's shame, and if you could, you'd hope this concrete floor would somehow magically open up and swallow you right now. You feel so exposed. It's like Bobby in the early service. I love him who came up to me and Adrian afterward, and Adrian preached wonderfully in the early service, and Bobby said to Adrian and me, I, now that I have the two of you together, could you pick somebody else out next week to preach to besides me? Well, I said, we'll try. Um, they feel guilty. They're shame. Jesus says, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. They, they're ashamed, and so they run. They try to hide. They try to cover. What exposed them? Two things, Jesus' words and his works. They never contradict one another, his words and works. They always go hand in hand. And uh, he spoke, and their word exposed him, much like his word is exposing some of you this morning. And you really want just to, just to drop out of existence. You want to run in shame. And it's his, his works. They, they saw the great things he did, but how could, these were religious people who formed the world. And uh, in, in his day, he's referring to religious people who formed this world. They were under Satan's influence, though they were chief priest and high priest. I would say to you today, in our world, we have made sin a religion. We have churches that have wholesale sold out. They no longer have a gospel. It is missing. They have capitulated to the culture. They have bought the lies of the world. They are convinced that in order to attract people, rather than them becoming like Jesus, we become like them. In order to bring people in, we must 
somehow let go of who essentially we are. Well, if our goal is to fill buildings, then maybe that's what we ought to do. But if our goal is to glorify Jesus who died naked on a cross and was buried and during his burial descended into hell and and triumphantly proclaimed himself over the spirits in prison and, and, and let the saints know all was well and resurrected three days later, ascended, and one day is going to return and reign on earth, then the world can do, be the world. We'll be different, amen? We'll be different. We, we will. Um, so why people, why, why people don't fall away? Jesus tells that too. Uh, and it, it seems like if you're reading this text, even as Margaret was reading, I was listening and I was thinking, it just takes a hard right. But it's, but it's all, of course, on purpose. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth, uh, he will bear witness about me. Jesus has already introduced the helper, the Holy Spirit, uh, but he's spoken of his role as that of an advocate. But now he seems to change his, his, uh, his perspective on the Spirit, and we see another role of the Spirit, uh, and the Holy Spirit is on the witness stand in the courtroom. So in one space, the Holy Spirit has been an advocate on behalf, like a defense attorney. But now the Holy Spirit is working on the prosecution side as a witness for Jesus. How did this happen? How do we see, did this really happen? Did the Holy Spirit bear witness? Well, there, there's a, there was a disciple that all of you are familiar with. His name is Peter, and some of you identify with him. Why? Well, Peter was the guy who jumped first and asked questions second, right? He, he had low risk aversion. So anything coming along, he's going to do it. And he's the guy who walks on water as a result. And the guy who goes down as a result, he's the guy who says, Jesus, I'll never leave you. And, and he's the only disciple with the distinguishing mark of being called Satan by Jesus. That's good on your resume, isn't it? Like, like what makes you stand out, Peter? Well, um, uh, he called me the devil. And so that's Peter. And Peter is the one who denied Jesus, isn't he? Jesus was, crucif- uh, Jesus was being tried. Peter uh, was in the crowd watching, and he, he denied him. And the, the words used to describe it are such a vehement curse as to swear and call God's wrath down on him. But, but would the Holy Spirit do his work? Would, would Jesus' promise happen? Well, it's Peter who preaches the first sermon in the early church. That's the same guy. And in Acts 5, uh, Peter had been asked to shut up. He, he shouldn't preach, right? So he'd been asked to stop preaching. And in verse 27, and when they had brought them, Peter and some of the other apostles, they set them before the council. This is in Jerusalem. These are the Sanhedrin, the leaders. And the high priest questioned them, saying, we strictly charge you not to teach in this name, the name of Jesus. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man, Jesus' blood, upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. What happened to this guy who denied Jesus before a little servant girl, and now he's sitting before the chief priest who can end his life? And he says, but we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. What? 
Peter, you're looking at the guy who can end your life, and you're saying, yeah, the guy you killed? Is that the one you're talking about? God exalted him at his right hand as leader, capital L, and Savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins, and we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit. Exactly like Jesus said. What would the Holy Spirit do? Go, that's Jesus. That's Jesus. Let me make Jesus known. Make him known. Make him known. As a matter of fact, if you're ever in a tradition that makes more of the Holy Spirit than Jesus, leave. Why? The Holy Spirit Spirit exists to make much of Jesus. Not of himself. That's what Jesus said. Whom God has given to those who obey him. I put it in summarizing statement like this. The Spirit conducts Christ's case for him before the world. Christ conducts our case for us before the Father. We're good, aren't we? If you're worried in our crazy world as we are looking at things develop in our government and in our churches that somehow, somehow the church will die, The church will no longer exist when God calls us out of here. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is testifying to who Jesus is. Third, what happens when people don't fall away? Verse 27, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. You'll do what Peter did. Peter and the other apostles filled uh, Jerusalem with God's teaching. So think about it. When you find a good restaurant, what do you do? You tell everybody. I don't know who said that, but they're all about it. All right. (laughs) Kelly Huffman, of course. (laughs) Tell everybody. Exactly, Kelly. Thank you. Paying attention. Uh, You tell everybody, don't you? You tell everybody. As a matter of fact, we almost fired Caleb about two weeks ago. Because he had the audacity to say that he preferred Zaxby's over Rockies. (laughs) The voice of inexperience and immaturity. That's all that is. But what you do is when you find a place, you tell everybody, and this is exactly what happens. The disciples become a, hear this, and don't miss this little phrase, co-witness with the Spirit. What does this mean? It means that you and I will never convince anybody to come to Jesus. I can't. I I don't have that power. I, I, I love persuasive speech. That's what every sermon is. I love it, but I do not have in my power to convince you to follow Jesus. The Holy Spirit does. I'm simply a co witness, I, I work alongside Him. It was a few weeks ago that James Davis, who's sitting right here on the second row, James, who's 91, uh, 90, uh, came by my house, and James calls me preacher. And he said, preacher, uh, there's somebody I need you to go visit. I said, all right. Who is it, James? And he told me his name and told me where he lived, and he and James enlisted uh, at the same time. In, in the military, they've known each other that long. And his friend is 91. And he said, preacher, 
He doesn't know Jesus, and I can't get it off my mind. And he said, I've gone to talk to him, now it's your turn. <laughs> and I said, well, is he expecting me? And he said, no, it doesn't matter. <laughs> and I said, okay. So a week ago Thursday, I had a lunch appointment, and I left my lunch appointment. I'm driving down 70. I'm going to head, turn right on Mackey's Creek. I'm going to go visit this man I've never met in my life who's 91, who doesn't know Jesus. And as I'm driving down uh, Highway 70, the Lord uh, said to me, Jerry, if I love him, that man, enough to put him on James's mind, to cause James to go to your house and say to you, go see him. Just let him know before you leave how much I love him. So I pull into his yard, and he happens to be outside walking a dog. He's 91. He, he's great health for a 91-year-old. He's driven to Asheville that day. He had gone to the VA. He's um, been all over town. He can navigate. He's smart. And I pulled in. I, I drive a Chevy uh, Silverado, and he said... Um, I pulled in, I introduced myself, and I, I said, I'm James Davis's pastor. And he said, Old Davis. I said, yes, sir. He said, he's asked me to come see you. And his very next words let me know that the conversation could be interesting. He said, you like your truck? <laughs> I said, I, yeah, I do. I like my truck. So then I, I said, um, you know, we, we talked a bit. We talked about him and James's relationship. We, uh, we just talked. It was hot. And uh, we were outside. And finally, I said, well, you know, James sent me for a reason. He said, what size engine you got in that truck? <laughs> and I looked at him, and I thought, I'm toast because I don't know. <laughs> and so I said, I don't know. And I thought, he thinks I am not even a man now. Like, how's he ever, even going to talk to me? I'm, my manhood just like somewhere is lying dead on highway, you know? And so he said, you don't? I said, I don't. And then he said, well, I lived in Flint, Michigan for years and worked for GM. Well, he knew what was in my truck. That's what he did, right? But I looked at him, and I thought, I'm getting there. And I said to him, you know, the reason I'm standing in your lawn, having never met you, is because your 90-year-old friend James goes to bed at night praying for you and gets up praying for you. And the only thing I can think is if God loves you that much to put you on his mind, to cause him to come to my house, to ask me to come meet you, a perfect stranger, he must love you a lot. And he dropped his head. I said, do you know him? And he said, I don't. Would you go to heaven if you died today? He said, I wouldn't. I said, does that bother you? And he turned and looked me in the eye, and he said, I'm 91. What do you think? He said, i got to get back in church. I said, no, you don't. you got to get on your knees and trust Jesus is your Savior. 
You don't have to be in a building to do that. Doesn't matter where you are. Why, 2,000 years after Jesus has come and died, does he take James? Because James is a co witness. And then I'm a co witness because he is. Who's behind every bit of it? I have cold chills and I'm sweating. The Holy Spirit. Isn't he? Do you know he's at work like that? Do you know that? Do you know that he's at work like that? Do you realize that he today is working like that? That that God the Father is through the Spirit bearing witness about Jesus the Son. Jesus said, they will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you think he is offering service to God, and they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you remember that I told them to you. Well, the synagogue may, may be no big deal to you, but in Jesus' day, it was, of course, where they met in a community for worship. It was also where the business was handled for that community. It was where the kids in that community went to school. It was where uh, meals were had together. The synagogue was the center of that community. And Jesus said, you will lose the very core of your community. They'll kick you out. Because of your faith. How bad will it get? The people doing it will think they're doing, they're so ignorant about my father. They'll think they're doing my father's bidding. One of those guys, Saul, right? Named Paul, eventually. Thought he was doing the work of God on the Damascus Road. He's blinded and he comes to faith and he dies for the faith. So I have a couple of questions for you. and well, we, we meet every week to walk through our services. And, and when I shared these, and staff, everybody said, ouch. And so I just wanted to prepare you that if these make you feel bad, um, I knew they would. And uh, they don't make me feel good either. Does your faithfulness ever offend anyone in your life? Does your faithfulness ever inconvenience you or others? Meaning, have you ever been kicked out of your synagogue because you walked with Jesus? Or do you laugh at all the same jokes Watch all the same TikTok videos. Bully like bullies. Gossip like the gossipers. Cheat like the cheaters. Flirt like sinners. Are you different? Long before there was Where's Waldo, there was Where's Wally. Where's Wally was the UK version of Where's Waldo and Where's Waldo and Where's Wally are both built on the same thing. What? Some dude wearing red and white stripe like Carol Davis. I saw her this morning. I said, you look like Wally and Waldo. 
uh, just wearing red and white stripes. And, uh, and what would happen is you would um, get like a, a two-page two spread in a book, and it would show a picture. I think, there we go, right? And, and you would have to look through that to find Wally or find Waldo. And all through it are red herrings. They, they're put there to make you think, oh, that's Wally. Oh, that's Waldo. Um, this is not how the church ought to be. We ought to stand out so much that when a picture like that comes up, there you are, different from all of the red and white stripes. It ought to be that in holiness and kindness. It ought to be that in love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and self-control. We live in a different day. You, you must know that behind the scenes here, we are actively researching legislation that is happening now and how it could adversely affect our ability to declare the gospel. Adrian on our staff, that's his mandate. We are looking at plans. How would we handle this? What would we do with this? How would we answer that? I don't say that to be doomsday. Do you know what excites me? The more our country abandons Christianity, the more distinct the gospel. the clearer the message. The more we get kicked out of our proverbial synagogues, the farther the gospel goes. And in that I rejoice. Amen? I rejoice. Lord, you have searched us and known us. You know when we lie down and when we rise up. You know our thoughts from afar before they ever come to our minds. Before a word is on our tongue, O oh Lord, you know it all. If we rise to the heavens, you are there. If we make our bed in the uh, most uh, uh, farthest point of the sea, you are there. If we are down in Sheol, you, we don't escape your presence. And when we think of these things, we're blown away that you in your glory will come to us in our low estate. Father, for those who have misunderstood you, take the blinders off and may they see you for who you are. For the one who's watching by Facebook or YouTube or sitting here who is rebellious, confront them 
in their rebellion. And for the one who's ashamed, remind them that Jesus on the cross, you were ashamed and shamed so that they would not have to be. May they come to you, a naked Savior, and find that you will clothe them with your righteousness in your name. And all God's people say, Amen.